Good evening from Los Angeles, ladies and gentlemen. You are listening to the New Metal Agenda podcast. I'm here today with my co-hosts, Wolf, Woo. Cran, Greetings. in the building today. You know, I don't usually get starstruck, but damn. <laughs> we, got a, we got an A-lister. Big name. Max Collins of Eve 6, everybody. How's it going, you guys? This is a unique situation. Never been in this one before. Typically, when we're addressing the new metal allegations with people, they're in abject and total denial. You, on the other hand, are aspiring to be new metal. Well, I sort of get a kick out of the designation. I mean, for the most part, we kept it uh, we kept it in standard tuning, you know. But there are uh, well, what some people might call blemishes on the record, and maybe maybe I see, maybe I don't see them that way where we dropped it down you know we i i flipped the uh i flipped the you know the the what do you call it the thing on the base that drops e to the d and yeah there there are some of those cases one was was a song that you guys posted about um the song anytime from the out cold soundtrack and yeah i think there are a few are a few others someone uh, definitely told me that promise was new metal way before any of this stuff yeah the definition i'm working with just to try to make it into your club is is like pretty broad at the time do you remember being sort of did you did you ever like feel like man should we hire a dj guys no we never quite got there but um for our second record i did i did put the bass down we brought out a touring bass player so i could be like you know kind of singer guy that was that was our probably our most new metal lineup but yeah no we never we never considered adding turntables which in hindsight was probably a mistake man i would have polished things up it's all here to the night really needed with some scratching did you guys have an appreciation of the subgenre contemporaneously or has it been kind of like a lot of people i think in retrospect going this is kind of good stuff when new metal was was popular it uh yeah, it, it was, I mean, we had a pretty adversarial relationship with it, kind of literally, because we put out our second record in 2000, and it was very much like a pop rock, Duran Duran influenced record. And But because that was, you know, the time when like, alternative rock radio w was, was kind of all like new metal bands, we ended up on a lot of festivals with a lot of those bands. And, you know, people really hated us. So listening to the music when it came out, I just didn't like it at all, perceived it as a threat. And then, you know, time is weird. And like here, when I hear that stuff now, it both feels there's something that feels kind of quaint about it. But there's also like, I don't know, the true spirit of rock and roll is is captured by a lot of those bands. It's like dumb but it's like fabulously dumb, you know? The point that I'm always making is that it was probably the last time in seriously mainstream rock history that there was still something new trying to be accomplished. Mm -hmm. Like even when the bands came up short and did fail, they failed in ways that have never been failed in before. And I genuinely think that's super noble. Yeah, and right, and failed in highly, highly entertaining ways, you know? I, I have to ask, though, if we're touching on festivals, please, please tell the Stain story. 
Okay, yeah. Well, the stain story was like I was saying. We ended up we ended up on a lot of bills where it was it would be us, Kid Rock, Papa Roach, Limp Biscuit, Stained, and that's what the line lineups looked like. <laughs> and Eve Six. Yeah, and there where was did they put you. I don't remember specifically where we were in the lineup um, of the stained one, but I mean, this is 2000. So, you know, we were coming off the big record. We were probably, you know, it was probably still daylight, but maybe the sun's starting to go down a little bit, you know? And it's 2000. Yeah. It would have been. You were bigger than stained. I want to say you'd have been bigger than stained. No, man. Stained had like a bunch of songs on the radio at that point. Didn't they? They only had dysfunction. So you'd have heard like mud shovel if you were listening to like rock stations, but this was that would have been pre break the cycle. It's been a while. So well, I know they went on after us uh at this particular show. And I was in my cups, man. I was very, very wasted. And I I had been all day. There were other shenanigans that went on that day. I I walked across the stage while fuel was playing. I just thought that would be funny i just kind of sauntered across the stage while <laughs> fuel was playing um and yeah and then stain started playing and i i was like real gone by this point and i climbed the i thought it'd be funny to climb the stage left pa thing which you know is a big festival so this is a this is a pretty high up you know speaker thing climbed to the top of and uh and I started kind of miming him, you know, which I mean, he doesn't do a whole lot up there. He's pretty low key, but um, it's definitely something you can do while standing still atop some speakers. Yeah, 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 absolutely. It would just You clutch your stomach a whole bunch. That's about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just look fucking <laughs> miserable. I think I was probably embellishing a little bit, you know, like grabbing the air or whatever. And then next thing I knew, I was being pulled off, like yanked off. I landed on my back and got like escorted out by a couple he had security guards he had a couple security guards at this point so they they took me out and um was it your security guards versus his security guards we didn't have security guards so it was asymmetrical uh warfare they threw me out and then the next day my tour manager woke me up at like early afternoon probably and he's like you there are like eight to ten guys right now standing outside the tour bus who want to beat the shit out of you. I didn't realize that we had a show with Stained the next day. So we're on like another show with Stained the next day in some other city, some other festival. So, and he was like, I suggest you, uh, you know, offer your, you know, your best, your best attempt at a sincere apology. So I got off the bus. I'm like all hungover, feeling like feeling awful. And I just went up to them and I said, and I did mean it too, because I did feel like a dick. And I was like, Sorry about that, you guys. I was I drank way too much and I was acting like an asshole. And the guitar player was really cool about it and said, oh, man, don't worry about it. And Aaron Lewis, the singer, said, you fucking better be. <laughs> <laughs> and that was that. He's such a piece of shit. If you ever had interactions or oh, just, yeah, he'll pub- never publicly. Yeah, there's no way he'll ever talk to us. He's a piece of shit. I hate him. I'll never. Dude, he's awful. I mean. He's I don't think anybody of that era wanted to be famous as bad as he did. Like he liked striking that sort of, oh, this fame. And he's on the cover Mm -hmm. of Rolling Stone. And he's like he like had a period there where they were like, this is the voice of a generation. And I think he ate that up. And when he made his cynical right wing pivot, 
for content. And when he became a right wing content creator, mm -hmm. you know, he really went down the tubes fast. So, you know, you won the war. Maybe he won the battle, but you won the war. Yeah. Yeah. He definitely embodied the self-serious. I'm in a lot of psychic and emotional pain rock guy thing. And I, it worked on a lot of people too. A good friend of mine who I like respect and like, like, you know, he, he likes a lot of good music, legitimately likes Stained and thinks they're, thinks they're good. I could, uh, I could, I could tell you like four or five other songs that I think are like authentically great, but people don't, I think looking back on it now, people don't realize that the media could create the narrative and there was no way to question it. Like you could write a letter to Kerrang, but mm -hmm. If, if the magazines and the media and Flawless Records and Geffen got together and were like, he's the voice of a generation, they could just make that. No, happen. it's true. It's true. Yeah, it was just sort of decided. And you really had, really had no choice but to hear, you know, the whatever 30 songs the radio was playing over and over again and kind of like have it mainlined into your ears, whether you wanted it or not. Is it fair to say that you have shit posted your way into a career renaissance? No. No. <laughs> You're like, no, and I resent that truly. No, I don't know. I don't I don't know. It's like I feel like it's hard to talk about the Twitter online thing without either overly dismissing it or making it out to be more important than it is. I have a good time. I for the most part have enjoyed myself over the last couple of years kind of spouting off. But I mean, it's such an ephemeral thing. Twitter, it's not uh, right. It's not like um, there's nothing. There's nothing lasting about it. So I see it mostly as fun and games. There have been times where I have been tempted to kind of believe it's more than what it is. Maybe take it a little bit too seriously. But um, these days, I really am trying to, for the most part, stick to jokes because I just think that's that's what's best. Especially since we're under the thumb of the world's least funny man. Yeah, indeed. I've been struggling to like communicate to people because it, it, when you say out loud, if Twitter goes down, I'm fucked. You sound really pathetic, but I'm fucked if Twitter goes down. So, yeah, I no, I know. I know what you mean. Yeah. Like, I mean, and I am in a sense, too. I mean, I'm not like. I got this <laughs> I got this uh, writing gig purely as a result of Twitter, and I really enjoy doing it. And it's not like how I mainly pay my bills or anything, but like it's something that I enjoy that does put a little bit of money in my pocket and wouldn't have come about without it. There are people I know who fully rely on Twitter to make a living, and he's fully playing playing games with that. So, well, for context to anyone listening in the future or who just has a life, the world's richest man, Elon Musk, bought our favorite website and he's tanking it. And it's almost quaint to consider how the website just going down, which is where we all were like, what, a week, two weeks ago. Remember, I played your song Closing Time to show everyone off. Uh, yeah. That was like the best case scenario because now he's like, well, what if I just let the worst people in the world back on the platform and signal boost them every day? all day and it's like it's what? like it's like fuck this is worse it's worse i wish you just it's, flip the switch it's not going away at least not not overnight but it's just getting progressively worse by orders of magnitude too it seems daily 
But what, I, what do you think is going to happen? Well, if, my brain is slime, so I I hope I'm not misquoting this. But didn't you just say that he's kind of having an existential freak because he's realizing that people are kind of coming to grips with the fact that being a billionaire means is a lot of PR, a lot of hype, a lot of smoke and mirrors. And so he's kind of posting through it. Yeah. I mean, it's tough to pin it down because, you know, I really do think he's deeply dumb and and like and I even catch myself in my own my own sort of like capitalist realism thinking or something where I'm like, God, a guy who's capable of even if it is gaming the system and profiting to becoming the richest man in the world, there must be a part of him that has some he must have some like Machiavellian intellect thing going on. But I really, I really don't think he does. I think it's, I, I do think his sense of self is threatened by, you know, he wants, he wants to enjoy the self-image of, of being an inventor of, of being a genius. And I think more and more people are realizing that there's nothing meritocratic about about his rise, that he started out with apartheid emerald mine wealth, and that he has not invented anything, but acquired and ruined things and made money along the way. And that's not the image of himself that he sees in the mirror or wants to see. And yeah, I really don't know. He's, he's, uh, but I do think he's really stupid. So I, I, I think that I think I think having that much money turns your brain into mush. Like it's like being kicked in the head by a horse every day. Cause I think at one point, guys like him and anyone in that position, I think at a point he was probably very, very intelligent, very smart. And having that much money, the world around you conforms to what you want at all times. Right. Everything I'm gonna disagree with you on the him being intelligent at one point because that man is profoundly stupid no at some point he had to be clever let's just say clever he was probably very clever he had something and then i think having that much money the cognitive effects of being able to transform literally everything around you whenever you want what do you think that does to your brain i do think an orb uh, yeah i mean i do think there's truth to that having your existence be so temperature controlled, so the people around you, almost all of them are under your employ or, you know, perceive you as a threat. And, and I do think that's brain rotting. I guess I agree with both of you guys. I don't think he started out. I, I don't know. I think, I think there's a temptation to think that, like I was saying before, that he must have had some, I just don't know his, I mean, I think a sense of humor is one of the best like indicators maybe not all kinds types of intelligence but he he's so he's like cry emoji like pathetic desperate attempts at being funny really point to like a deep stupidity to me that's innate that wasn't just because of his his wealth and his temperature controlled life and everything else but yeah i don't know it's weird for me because it's like, I know a lot of people, it's like, eh, it's just Twitter. But it's like, it's weird for me because I finally made it work in a way where I can like show people all this music. Yeah. And the fuck, this fucking guy is ruining everything. Just every day he wakes up and he's like, I'm just going to fuck this shit up for everyone. So I, I've been, str I've been having trouble with it in that regard. But I mean, 
it's the obviousness of it that I think kills me with him and with Kanye both where you do things that are wrong and hurt people and but instead of like reflecting you can just run to the people that are going to say to you like no 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 you actually what you said was correct and yeah. you're really smart and funny and attractive like yeah. you can just go That's find those, those people you, you guys mentioned how rich he is and that's obviously true what he's realizing both musk and kanye west is that money can't buy you a personality it can't buy you a sense of humor what it can buy you is sicko fans and they are just falling hand over fist trying to get as many as they can i think this is really elon musk is a 44 billion dollar popularity contest but he's gonna win well kanye is a different situation because that's a guy that absolutely was at one point incredibly talented and incredibly funny and every Agreed. you know everything but i think that he ended up with that much money and his brain just became a very shiny orb in there connected by one thread so i think just having that much <laughs> money completely fucking ruins you i mean i mean even like I don't know, man. It's like, Max, you're a, you're a multimillionaire. Does that do you feel like you have those issues? Yeah. Well, thank you for being the one to say it, because, you know, it always putting me in, in the unenviable position of I was about to say it if you if you hadn't. So I just want to thank you. Thank you for that. <laughs> he uh, saw that reason. He just he knew. Yeah. Yeah. The Collins fortune. Yeah. No, it's by, you know, some some virtue that i'm fortunate to be in possession of my my riches haven't haven't corrupted my my mind but new metal has Certainly. i think that's i think that's where you end up is you end up with that one and that's what kind of ruins you do you have like an all-time did, did you i did you have an all-time favorite new metal band or album or something i mean like i think if i if i really delved into the genre like in a way that I honestly haven't, I would probably pick the Deftones because I know from just the songs that I've that I've heard of theirs, I've never like gone deep into the records or whatever, that they have influences that I probably, I, I don't maybe share them as influences, but bands that I like, they are influenced by. Yeah, somebody recently, somebody I know called them the, um, the thinking man's new metal band. And of course I want to choke <laughs> the shit out of them. I guess it is what it is because they I, right. I I think they're lucky enough to have picked the influences that aged the best. Mm -hmm. So if like other new metal bands were picking like Faith No More and Primus and mm -hmm. Ministry, uh, Deftones were like Radiohead, PJ Harvey, The Cure. And those are bands that only increased in status. And, and maybe Sunny Day Real Estate. I don't know. I hear a little oh, yeah. bit of Sunny Day in there. Totally. Totally. Oh, I can hear that. Obviously. What's yeah, that? A quicksand, obviously, is a big influence. Oh, yeah, yeah. Share a bass player for a little while. Jawbreaker. I'm a huge Jawbreaker fan. I'm a huge fan of the Dear You record, which, you know, I guess a lot of huge Jawbreaker fans might might not love. But uh, that was a big influence on your songwriting, right? Well, definitely lyrically. I mean, that was that record was like basically all I listened to, like my, I don't know, junior senior year of high school which was the time that i was like writing a lot of the songs on the first deep six record you could you would never be able to tell by the way the record sounds of course but big big fan of that record but like back to your other new metal question of like like you know this is going to be you know i'm almost embarrassed to be submitting this to you the new metal guys right because it's such a basic pick but last resort by papa roach is such a fucking incredible recording. Have you ever read my list? 
No. I, I wrote a list of the 100 greatest new metal songs. That's number two. Holy shit. All right. The number two greatest new metal song of all time. I fucking love that song. It's so fucking good. It's good because he means it. It's good because he means it. That's why I said it's a great recording. Because like some other new metal band doing that song, whatever. It probably, you know, it may have been nothing, but like he fucking means it. And it and it's like incredibly heavy. The parts are amazing. It's I don't know. It I I, I legitimately lo- love that song. It has two different bridges, which I always thought was cool. Yeah, his vocal delivery, I think, is stellar. It gets more serious as it goes along. And it's like a lot of great new metal songs where like songs like Chop Suey or Bring Me to Life or Inside Out, where they become memes. And that kind of is like, oh, you know, oh, haha, that song. Remember the meme new metal song? But that's because people want to just say, oh, I love this song. Yeah, they, but they they lack that ability because they're like, everyone thinks this sucks. So they're trying to like meme it into like a community of being like, but it's good, right? So right, right, right. It's actually a really cowardly way to say you like something. But it's like, it's it's where we've ended up just because of how Rock Crit stamped that music out. So people are kind of embarrassed and and I get that all the time as people being like, you guys actually like this music? And it's like, no, oh, you're so, you're so you're so right. And a lot a lot of the genre is of course embarrassing and bad. But like you can say that about. Well, I so a point that I've been making recently is that the music that came along as like an alternative to new metal would have been like the garage rock revival, like the Strokes and Interpol and the White Stripes. But they were taking as a genre that had already reached more or less a conclusion and mm-hmm. sort of reupholstering it for a post gap advertisement world, which is like great. I love those bands. I think they made some great albums, but they were coming back with a sound that was already nostalgic. Whereas with new metal, there was no nostalgia. It was all about we have to strive forward to something else so it could be embarrassing but it was effective but it wasn't totally it was no you're right it's like the the white stripe strokes thing and i enjoy a lot of that music too but incredibly derivative and yeah going to it was going to the past at least it was pulling from from influences that were whereas like like (laughs) taking last resort as the sort of example it was like yeah, the reason why it feels embarrassing and audacious is because they were, you know, doing something and combining elements, you know, to critics of the time ought not be combined. You know, they were doing something that took, I think, some creative stupidity slash bravery. And I think people distance themselves from it because when they hear it, they remember a time in their lives where it was like that was everything. Mm-hmm. Or that was the only thing that you could really hear. And maybe they too had thoughts of self-harm and stuff. So it becomes something you ironically distance yourself from because of how raw it actually is. And I think it's amazing in retrospect to consider that that was just pop music. Like it was just something like, yeah, oh yeah, that was just on the radio. I'm glad that we can come around. I'm glad though that we can take a ball pin hammer to the irony wall and break that down because... I, I would tell people that there's sound, there's just so much potential left in that music. It's not done. I think a lot of other genres, you know, genres come and go, but new metal is the only one I can think of that was like obliterated, you know, was sort of buried. Like disco went through something similar, but disco was re-exhumed pretty quickly after that, I think, and sort of reappraised as a good genre. I think you could maybe say something similar for like the mid to late 80s 
I guess, an early 90s hair metal thing. That shit sucked. Not all of it. <laughs> yeah, I know. I can't. And, you know, I, I can't. I, I think, can't say that. I can't say that. Glass houses, you know. There's some good stuff hiding in there, Kirk. I, the, know. The, I know. I know. I know. The Dr. Feelgood record, man. And the first Skid Row record, I uh, I think are legitimately good. And that was a scene that just got like um, a scene. But are they good enough, though, good. that we can just say they're new metal? Okay. Can we, <laughs> just, that. can we just grandfather them in? Yeah, yeah, Skid yeah. Row album kicks ass. This is new metal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I dig that. Appetite for Destruction, new metal. Confirmed. Yeah. I think the Eve Six phenomenon is fun because Eve Six, I think, is the first band where I can post one of your songs and people will be like, this is not fucking new metal. And I can go, Max, uh, Max, and Ma and you'll jump in and you'll just be like, oh, yeah, it is. Don't <laughs> yeah. take this from me. No, I've I've had a really good, good time with our banter. And um, it meant a lot to get the follow back, too. <laughs> You're saying that to me? Yeah. <laughs> that's great. That's one for the uh, that's one for the journal. Dear Diary. That's so funny. That's so funny. I'm I'm actually really, I'm just thrilled that you were able to make it on the podcast. Because, you know, with us, it's like, you know, he's a big celebrity. Do we have to reach out to management or can we just DM him? Who knows? And again, thank you for being the one to tell your audience about me being a big celebrity. It's just so, you know, I, I would rather not have to say these things myself. And sometimes, you know, podcast hosts, you know, they 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 don't say it. And then, and then I have to. You have to say it. You have to be like, by the yeah. way. And it's like, oh, that celebrity. guy's such an asshole, you know, but. We won't bring up how much you paid us to be on this show. That'll be our little secret. Thank that's, you. that's true. That's true. The 10,000 a piece. So we'll let that slide. Hey, on the N thousand day. Oh, you know what I do really want to know? Talk when we talk to people that kind of were in the major label moment, the peak CD era. I think people either tend to get signed to development deals that sort of left them in the lurch, or they get hit with the fucking money cannon. Where were you guys at? So we we signed a record deal. It wasn't it wasn't like a production deal. It was an actual record deal. But compared to record deals at the time, it was like nothing i mean in terms of advance or or whatever and in practice it kind of functioned more as a production deal because i we were in high school it was we signed it with the understanding that we would finish high school we learned when we were recording the first record that we were like in danger of getting dropped from the label this is before they'd heard anything that we'd recorded or whatever so i, I think it really was a time when labels were just signing as my Twitter friend Steve Albini says, you know, every swinging dick with a guitar going into like little local scenes. We were on an independent label called Dr. Dream. It was out of Orange County that was like a, like where seminal singers from seminal punk bands went to die or do their solo projects. Um, so like Joe Wood from TSOL was there and... Steve Soto from the Adolescents actually was producing our record. Like we started cutting drums and that's when, anyway, it's a boring story, but like we got sort of poached from there. They paid out Dr. Dream and we were on RCA, but we were by no means like a priority for the label. It wasn't like one of these bidding war things. I guess the advantage though, is that if you're in high school and you're just making stipend, that's like, fuck yes. We no, just it was... It was incredibly sick because they had this thing. It was like a work. What did they call it? Like work credit or something like that, where if you had a job, you could miss a period of class of school 
and you were the shit. Um, you must have just been just the shit on campus all the time. In a way, like our our friend, you know, our friends that we hung out with were like, oh, this is cool. But it also was like our lives didn't really change that much. It's not like we, you know, we were still, I don't know. It's definitely advantageous, though. We just talked to this other band called Spike 1000, who are amazing and you should check out. And they got signed to Columbia in their late 20s, early 30s. And they're talking about how they're like, yeah, the label gave us like 10 grand up front, which we spent all on equipment. And then we had a stipend of five dollars a day for food. And they're like bucked. You know, that's just sunk cost. Totally. Yeah. Bands, bands that were just a little bit older than us had a much harder time. We were still, you know, we didn't have we still lived with our parents. Like we still we didn't have expenses. And it was okay. What's that? You were living with your parents, but that was fine. Yeah, it was fine. Yeah. Do you live um, with them now? Yeah, this is. Uh, I, I feel <laughs> is bad it? for taking credit for the tree. I didn't help my dad carry it in. Okay, but when we get to it's all in your head. Do they like re up the contract and hand you an advance or? No, no, no. I'm trying to remember here. I don't know. We may have renegotiated a couple little things, but yeah, no, we spent way too much money on that record and then got summarily dropped after it came out your highest charting album what gives wait no really yeah it peaked at 27 horoscope 34 eve 6 self-titled 33 so your highest charting album under under what like it's that's got maybe some like uh u.s albums chart wow i know you gotta call up rca (laughs) you gotta call up rca what the fuck you know, it was that classic thing where, you know, everyone who had worked on our first two records got fired. They brought Clive Davis in. Clive Davis was the guy. We met, I remember meeting with him at the Beverly Hills Hotel and it was really, really weird. And he just played us the new Foo Fighters album. And we were like, okay, cool. And then, yeah, we got dropped a couple months later. Because of how you reacted to the Foo Fighters album. I, I think we were like, oh yeah, this sounds great. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> He's like, I've you're said out. It before, and I'll say it again. Dave Grohl fucked Eve Six. You said always that before. This every day. He's always saying this. He's always saying Dave I, Grohl tanked Eve Six. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I say that a lot too. And now, I, now I'm realizing I probably got it from you, and I've just been parodying it around town. Well, I remember reading. So, taking the band Taking Back Sunday put out Louder Now. Louder Now is kind of like a big success for them. And I remember their record label were talking to the trades at the time they're like yeah we're gonna make this band into the next foo fighters which is really dumb because like there's nowhere else you can take there you don't need more than one foo fighters no one's like oh man i need more bands that sound like this everyone that likes the foo fighters just listens to the foo fighters so sorry which band were you saying they were trying to do that with taking back sunday taking back sunday okay so it's just a weird pivot to be like can you take your sound and make it more normal yeah that's how all these label guys work at least did back then probably still do you know probably and probably too because 2003 would have been post clear channel like far post clear channel and i think the further you get away from independent radio the more your music had to sound exactly like one thing they all became kind of one tube of rock music and if you couldn't slide into those playlists you out so what what's your what's your rock history have you do you come from bands were you ever in a new metal band do you put well actually yeah i put out a new metal album that i basically wrote and recorded on my on my own a year ago and put a lot of effort and my own money into that the the further i got from it almost immediately it just kind of became clear to me like the door for this is totally shut 
and I don't I don't really have any romantic visions of being like independent and just slugging it out. So I kind of thought if a rising tide lifts all boats, why don't I try to do something with the whole genre? Because I was just are, waiting- are there are there bands making like good new metal right now? But this year has been absolutely packed with fucking great new metal. Like I went from being into nothing new for like years to this year, just looking at like my best of 22 playlists and thinking I can't even rank all this. this and like new, newer bands, not just not bands from the day necessarily. No, but- albums that came out from bands that were only have only been around for like four years. Bands wow. like, yeah, bands like Cheem, Callous Dowboys, KFC Murder Chicks, fucking Hitbox. <laughs> I know, right? Fleshwater, bands that just took this. I think what's happening right now is you're taking it. You got a generation that's coming of age that wants to make guitar music, and they were around for absolutely none of the new metal rise and fall. So they have no ties to it that might be considered. They have no ironic distance to take. The only the only connection they came with them was one of just discovering it and going, "This kicks ass. I like this." That's it. So I think where people like you and me and Cran over here and Wolf, who I think lived in a it, wolf wrote about new metal at the time i think we in our brains there's that narrative but for them there is no narrative it's just this is great shit right they heard the music first on whatever playlists and their imaginations did with the sound what it did as opposed to being filtered through media whether it was criticism or lauding it it's just like the sound is the sound yeah, and you can approach it just on its own terms rather than knowing what you know about it, whether it's a joke or it's something to love or yada fucking yada. So how's your comeback been so far? Do you Have you been playing shows, warm receptions to the new tracks and whatnot? We, uh, we did a tour in May, June. We did like a month-long run. And yeah, it, <laughs> it is cool. It's because it's like, I mean, you can definitely tell when you look at the audience who is there because they discovered whatever you want to call this iteration of our band relatively recently. And, you know, the legacy fans, we've definitely made some new fans of our band and people who like, you know, we put out a full length called Hyper Relativization like a couple months ago and an EP called Grim Value, like maybe a year ago now. So yeah, we have a subset of people who do show up (laughs) or Eve Six and were maybe too young or didn't know who we were or actively hated us at the time. So that's been kind of fun. Or actively hated you at the time? Well, I I think maybe I'm doing some, I'm taking some license with that, but I've definitely, yeah, come across some people who have been, (laughs) have been charmed by our inane Twitter account and would not have called themselves fans um, before then. So, you know, it's not. Have you you noticed that you've pioneered something like a new way of tweeting yourself back to some relevance for your other like late 90s alt rock survivors? Like I noticed that Weedus and Stroke (laughs) Nine are following in your footsteps. I was really weirded out when I just tweeted Stroke Nine and Stroke Nine popped up like, hey, like, Hello, Stroke Nine. Yeah, <laughs> Stroke Nine has a little bit too much of that energy for me. So <laughs> I do. But Weedus, Weedus is great. I mean, I, I really love Brandon, <laughs> and uh, and yeah. So I, I I really enjoy bantering with Weedus. 
I also think they're a really good band. They're new metal. Weedus is new metal. One of the weirder Twitter phenomenon that I sparked was I posted their song Teenage Dirtbag and people, plural, got fucking pissed at me. They're like, really? they're like, they're like, this is not new metal. This is not new metal. You can't do this. And I was like, how is this where you draw the line? Really, Weedus? This is a, a bridge too far for you? Did you have people backing you up too? Or was it all was it all people being pissed off saying gatekeeping? I don't know. I feel like I feel like the best I had were people going like, oh, I guess I could see it. But there were more people that were just like, were like, nope, nah, you're taking this too far. I'm like, I didn't realize Weedus was the litmus test, but you could you could argue that the narrative of the hit is pretty new metal. You know, I mean, yeah, yeah, he's got a gun. He's got a gun. The man's got a gun. Well, what I try to like explain to people, like the 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 narrative that I'm trying to like piece together is, I'm not trying to post things that are objectively new metal. I'm just trying to create a world where all of this can exist at the same time. Because if my goal on this earth was to like draw lines around what this music is and isn't, this would be no fun at all. So would you say that new metal is an attitude first and that maybe that's why, you know, a band like Eve Six might be considered as, if not canon, at least under the larger umbrella? Well, so I got a I got a question from a reader. They're like, do you have any bands that consider themselves new metal that you would say aren't new metal? And you guys came to mind right away. But I was like can't do this yet i can't start throwing people off the train because you know there's there are things that are and there are things that are not and i'll always come forward and just be like and like we have to draw our limits somewhere but you can create a unit i mean look you were sharing festival billing with papa roach and stained and limp biscuit so you literally come from a world where these things coexisted there was a lineup in phoenix and I swear to God, we were the only non-new metal. No, that's not true. MXPX was on the bill too. They're new but metal. They, they were the only other. It was it was all of them. All of the radio new metal bands, literally. Kid Rock, Limp Bizkit, Papa Roach, all those bands. And that was the most brutal show I've I've ever played. I mean, it was just nonstop. We were being pelted with shit. And then they somehow got... A hold of bags of ice and we're throwing ice and like one caught me right above the eye so i was like and i started to bleed so i was literally like there was blood running down my face as that's we so doing. new metal now yeah metal now. i you could argue that that's more new metal than maybe some of the bands we shared the stage with that day i think me up there you know projecting singing here's to the night playing it in standard tuning with blood running down my face <laughs> <laughs> okay I could post that now. Good to hear. You know what? I have to just bring this up. It's almost like a hard pivot, but I've been forgetting to bring it up for 50 minutes and it has to be brought up. Wolf, my my dear friend over here, Wolf, was the one that actually surfaced this and I really appreciate him for doing so. You literally wrote a song for Puddle of Mud. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, there you go. That's a lot of cred. Not the most new metal song, but... No, yeah. No, it was... Um, God, that whole thing was so strange, man. It was, I mean, it was amazing. The song's terrible, but it was. <laughs> we just, I was just, I was listening to it on mute before I came on and I came back and I was like, well, that was a song. He, that was a, that was a man. That's the most auto tune I've heard on a song that is not an auto tune style song. So 
yeah, his vocal ha- was just like completely smashed to the note. Um, those sessions were insane because Jimmy Iovine heard the song and was like, this is it. This is, this is their, this is going to be how we get them to, you know, like hot AC, the Nickelback type crossover song. Max, you did it. We're all going to be rich. And we went in, we went into his office and like, he played the demo so loud in his office that it was like painful. And then he was just like, yeah, just don't change anything. Just put his voice on it. So we went to, uh, what's his name? Uh, Jack Joseph Puig. Is that his name? Producer guy um, went to the studio where they were making that record. And Wes was like, I really like Wes, I got to say. Wes is an okay dude. But he was uh, he was drinking a lot. And he would he was just like pounding whiskey. And then in between takes, he would go run around the block. He was like sprinting around the block. And then he'd come back in like huffing and puffing and like sweating and stuff. And also really drunk. And he'd do another take. It was really strange. Yeah, I don't know. Why was he running around the block? I don't know. I think he thought that that would give him vocal power or something. I don't think that's how that works. <laughs> I, I I don't know. I've never met a whiskey sprinter. You guys whiskey sprinters? That's not usually what I do when I've when I've had a few. I'm thinking there's more than just whiskey involved here. Uh, not, you know not what? to speculate, but uh... that's probably true. Max is leaving that out. <laughs> that can end up on the cutting room. Floor Max is Max sure. is like Max is like yeah. He had so much energy, just straight whiskey. <laughs> Really, was, really such a vital guy. <laughs> such a vital guy. <laughs> so then it comes out. Did it break them through? No, it was a total stiff. Yeah, yeah. I actually think that I, I actually admire him a lot, too, because that's another the, the, the sort of defining new metal ethos to me is a bunch of guys that did not have the talent, but did have the drive. And so he <laughs> he's a guy. He's a guy that's just like, like, I have one gimmick. And that's that I can just be a sellout Kurt Cobain. Fucking hell, I'm going to make it. Triple platinum. You know what? Triple platinum. Can't front on the triple platinum. You know, I think he meant it, though. I I don't think he had, he didn't have the type of brain to really do, like, um, cynical strategy. (laughs) I think he meant it. And I think he's also one of the last guys. So what's kind of funny in a dark sort of way is he's someone that got on and had in his head what you're allowed to do as a rock star. But he became a rock star after that was okay. After that was okay. Right. So he would do all the drunken escapades and crash his car and ride the terminal at the airport and go to jail. <laughs> like it, it wasn't like it wasn't like it wasn't it wasn't like 1991 where yeah. Interscope's like, ah, fuck, post his bail, do whatever it takes, send the lawyers, let's get him out. No, it was just like, well. Straight to jail. <laughs> no one Every time. <laughs> I really hope you've got some savings squirreled away because you're going to jail. Um, no, it's it's yeah, that's true. I still I still think that Lincoln Park fucked that up for everybody because Lincoln Park came, you know, they did all right. And their whole deal was like, we clean the dressing room. We don't do drugs. We do not drink. We're all about the fans. Incredibly professional. Yeah. Right? And, and I think that became the new paradigm for rock stardom. Of being oh, and you know what else too is that they were multimedia hustlers before that needed to be a thing. They were doing their own graphic design, they're yeah. putting their own remix albums together, they're directing their videos. And I have to explain to people, especially younger people, like there was a time 
where if you were a successful musician, all you did was musician stuff. You didn't have to like run a meme page, shit post all the time, live stream on Twitch, have an Instagram account, do TikToks. Like you literally just were a rock star. That's no, it. right. It wasn't, it would in fact hurt your credibility if you were like, were you a hustle? Did you like, were you hustling at the time? Are you like, we need to own our masters? No, let's, let's God, get some man. other bands signed. No, I, I, you know, no, we, 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 we had our moment in the, in the wrong at the wrong time for my, yeah, no, I, I was never good at any of that stuff. Not, not because, not because I'm like a real artist. I just was, I think you didn't do that at the time. Nobody knew. Nobody knew. Nobody knew. It yeah. was, you know, it was 1998. That was not in the lexicon at all. Like yeah. only Prince had, Prince was like the only one that's like, you should own your masters. And everyone else was like, no, we don't. Yeah. I mean, and we, we were also in no position when we signed to have any negotiating power. Did any bands from that time, like come away owning their masters who were like newer bands who didn't have the cloud of like a Prince? I doubt it. Were you guys, I'm curious, did you guys ever get hit with the major label money cannon? Was no. RCA, RCA never was like, here's 250 grand. Have fun. I mean, our budgets for the second and third record were big, but, you know, we used them on the records. We never, you know, we never got like the crazy money, but we we made good money because we in publishing. We kept our publishing. We never sold it. And again, that was like by virtue of the fact that we lived with our parents and stuff in the beginning and we didn't need the money. So it's like most bands aren't in a position where they can really turn down publishing deals and and we were, but that's that was like a good good move on our part. A lot of artists now are just selling off their masters and their publishing for big I money. Know. Have I you have, gotten you gotten the seven figure, eight figure deal yet? We've we've had people who have tried to broker that for us and we're our thinking is just like, I don't know, that's something that you do maybe in like twenty years or something like that. I don't know. It's like why do you why do you think everyone's going for that? I mean, you can you know, if you if you if you have a hit or two, you can make you can make pretty good money. There are these like I don't know who these people are actually who are doing it. I assume just like rich guys who want another way to have capital or something. But like, yeah, there are guys who are like you said buying the publishing full pu publishing of bands that have had hits. Yeah, like I think Bob Dylan cashed out, Bruce Springsteen cashed out. I mean, maybe for them, wow, it's that's that's crazy that they would do it. Like, like nine, why, like why? Eight, like eight figure, nine figure deals. If I had to guess, I would say it's just because they're like coming up on the end of their lives and are like, go big or go home. I don't know. Yeah, I guess. I guess they get that check and then like invested in ways or something like that. I don't know. That's I guess it makes more sense to me if you're a band that's like our size or something to do it. But yeah, I don't know. What do you think? So what's next for Eve six? What's on the horizon? Can we expect the drop tune to Eve six record soon? We are going to be releasing our first and only re-record of any time our new metal song from the movie Out Cold. We recorded it and uh, and it's pretty heavy. So we will be putting that out. Yeah, I think we're just going to keep, you know, releasing maybe like a record a year that is just us doing this sort of whatever you want to call what we're doing right now. 
with zero <laughs> commercial expectation because um, we're having fun doing that. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. When you put things out now, are you like checking Billboard? Like, God, no. Come on. Let's get let's get some playlists. No, it's so it's so weird to me when no. Yeah, no, we're what? <laughs> no, we're never going to have another another uh, another hit. I think that it's it's a fun way to do the music now because it's sort of like the catalog or whatever is our real job. And then we can make this newer shit and it's like a hobby, but the real job subsidizes the hobby, which is kind of nice because we can just do this sort of like cocaine rock thing that we're doing now and have fun doing it without putting any uh, grandiose expectations on it or anything, you know? Is that what it is? Let me edit your Wikipedia page real quick. <laughs> I'm going to add that to your genres tab. Thank you. Do you think maybe you're probably like overall more satisfied though than like the guys from Vertical Horizon? I don't know. The guy from Vertical Horizon is maybe one of the nicest people I've ever he's kind of too nice, you know, when you when you uh you meet someone who's like so nice that it's a little troubling. He's like troublingly bald, so I guess I could believe that. Yeah. <laughs> He's like the uh, baldest man ever. So yeah, I don't know. He's got his own sort of Dow that he's working with. Yeah, I, I mean, I do think of us as being, you know, people sometimes accuse me of like complaining too much and 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 crying about the industry too much, which I do do my fair share of. You know, I've I've been pretty loud about Spotify being a piece of shit and and stuff like that. Yeah, that thread opened some eyes, man. Oh, thanks. What a yeah, weird I mean, fucking thing to jump on your case about, though. Like, it's Spotify. They'll it's weird. Yeah, it's really weird because people will be like, I don't know. I try to get into the heads of the haters sometimes and be like, okay, so what is their, what do they see as a contradiction here? Or how, what, what are they seeing here as hypocrisy? And I think, I think some people see a band that's got, had any level of success or something or a band that's fortunate enough to still exist and like we pay our bills with our band is like, shut the fuck up. You're in the fucking point, whatever percent. And like, why are you, why are you crying about this shit? Which I guess I can sort of understand because no, you know, I really can't. It's, it's no, I, I, I can maybe I, I shouldn't say I can understand it. I can stick to football. E six guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but so but I do I so I think that's sort of the perspective. So it's like of some like you folks. get it. Like you get it. Yeah, right, right. I don't understand it like good job, bro, but like I sort of get how that summons base instincts of like fuck you or whatever, which is as we know a whole lot of what online is, you know. Well, to but, me it's like to me it's like streaming's never going to go away. But I, I mean, I guess it's like with literally any portion of society that exists in any degree where it's like, you know, these guys that pull down $400 million a year, you could just that money could just go to other people. Yeah. And they could make $8 million a year. Like, yeah. I don't know about you, but I could live off $8 million a year. Yeah. Max, could you live off $8 million a year? You know, I'd have to probably tighten the belt a little bit. <laughs> he's like, he's like, he's like, it'd be a pay cut, but oh, <laughs> oh man. <laughs> mm. oh. No, it's so true. It's funny. It's funny. You see it with the Musk thing too, how there's, there's just a type of guy who rushes to the defense of the billionaire CEO. <laughs> 
he don't know uh, you, bro. But I forget how we got on this tangent. But uh, we're talking about how much money you're making, which is a lot. No, but yeah, we're. I mean, I'm a very fortunate guy. That's that. I'm in a position where I can keep the lights on with rock and roll. Oh, you know what we're doing? I, you know what we're actually what we're doing? We're putting exactly. Max Collins on a chart of happiest late '90s alternative rock star. Now you're saying you're not as happy as the uh, Vertical Horizon guy, but you're probably happier than the Smash Mouth guy. Right. I, I'm saying I'm saying no one should aspire to be as happy as the Vertical Horizon guy because his, his happiness is a little suspect. So I think I, I put myself still in the top five, probably, which I think is is where you want to be. Maybe make four or three. I'm definitely happier than the Smash Mouth guy. That's for sure. You're happier than the Stained guy. Yeah. Oh, you're yeah. all happier than the Stained guy. Yeah, we're all happier than the Stained guy. You'd, so, uh, Max, I guess if I had any final questions, have you ever played a seven string guitar? I don't think I've ever played a seven string guitar. I'm trying to think if I've maybe happened across one in a sound check or something. I don't think I have, man. I think I'm going to do for you what Clive Davis should have done. And I'm going to sit you down and just be like, guys, loving it. The sound great. Cocaine rock. Cool. Whatever. Can we down tune the guitars? Look into a turntable list, hire three more band members, check out some a tuning, drop a, maybe drop E. How about, what if, how about Eve six? Eve six six six. Eve six 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 does not a new metal album or EP even, but one new metal song, and and you produce it, and we really fucking go for it, and try to make something that you know holds up and really belongs in the canon without any qualifications. Or I'm super down for this, just so we're all clear. I'm very non-ironically down with this. You're in LA, right? Yeah. Okay. I think I think maybe that this could be something worth doing. You're fucking right. It is. Oh, I, I'm being I'm being serious, by the way. I know it will be good. So we'll chat it up. But um, uh, you know what? We've kept you for quite a while, and we, Max, we really appreciate you coming on. We really appreciate you addressing the new metal allegations, even if we're still not quite conclusive. All right. Let, let me just, before we go here, advocate for myself uh, in this regard, in just a couple ways, okay, that haven't been brought up yet. This has never happened before. First time in American history. Go. All right. One, which I hope you're aware of, is that Fred Durst stole my lyric, Pardon a Blender, for the song Noki. That's that's we're correct. an hour 10 into this and we didn't mention that at all that's okay. a, sh a wow we are the worst this is where the worst podcast <laughs> don gilmore who produ produced our first two records produced hybrid theory and meteora we're getting and meteora and also one of the other ones a different band that you guys have probably posted about i can never remember what they're called that's it. Those are my, that's, that's all I got. Those are good fucking qualifications. I've never been quoted by Fred Durst. You know, how could I forget that one? How could I forget that one? I'm so sorry. He yeah. also, he also, I ended up in a bathroom with him, not in like a cocaine way or anything. It was literally like, a, we were at the same restaurant or something like that. And, sure. you know, we were literally pissing next to each other at adjacent urinals. And this that's was after nice. the song, the song was already out and everywhere and he was like hey man i used your lyric in one of my songs 
And I was like, yeah, man, I know. And that was it. That was oh, oh, you mean you and Fred were, were next to each other? Yeah. <laughs> he's like, hey, he's like, hey, man. It's like, hey, man, love this. I used your lyric in one of my songs. It was like. You know what I love about Fred Durst is I think that that guy authentically just really likes music. Yeah, I, I, I he always struck me as a very genuine dude, like like especially when he was going after bands to try to sign them and whatnot. Like he was always really sincere and just being like, I really fuck with what you do. So I think that when I think that when he said that, I bet he was I, I genuinely bet he was a little starstruck. No, no, I, I bet you he myself. Was, I bet you he was like, oh, shit. I can't allow myself to believe that I was a little starstruck. I was definitely a little starstruck. But uh, I think you're right. I think he, I think he probably genuinely loves rock and doesn't give a fuck about other people's perceptions of what that rock is. I or, think I can get you where that band you were trying to figure out. He Don Gilmore's also done Trust Company. I think it's them. Okay, he also did Stereo Mud, uh, the Union Underground. You know, some of those more washout bands. But I, I bet you it would have been. Would have been it's him. Trust Company, I'm pretty sure. Can I add another new metal connection? Yes. So David Campbell, who did your string arrangements, also did strings for Alien Ant Farm and Taproot. There we go. That's right. Also, that's Beck's dad. All right. Oh, so really? Beck is also new metal. See how this works? We just keep on expanding the circle. Keep expanding the pentagram. Thank you so much for joining us. Max, it's been really wonderful to have you on to address the new metal allegations. I think that we can all come away with this with a sense that you guys didn't just make silly songs and standard tuning, but were a new metal band at the same time. And I think that that's something we have to give credence to is uh, new metal Eve Six. So thanks a trillion for coming on and happy holidays, bro. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you guys. Thank you.